You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Okay, we're going to be in the book of James chapter 3, James chapter 3 tonight. And uh, as you find it, go ahead and stand. We're going to jump into the reading here. Last time we were in the book, we looked at the most dangerous church member, and uh, that is obviously then the tongue is what we looked at, and that little member which boasteth great things. It's a little fire uh, that defileth the whole body, as we saw last time. The, the tongue can burn everything down, and uh, we, we're not careful. The tongue is the most dangerous member, and James's point in the first 12 verses of chapter 3 is that we ought to be mindful of our tongue, that a mature Christian will have control over their speech. And, and that's the point of the first 12 verses of the chapter and uh, leads right pretty well into the last six verses, verses 13 through 18. And so we're going to read those verses tonight and really just focus on verse 13. And the more that I studied, I realized we won't be able to even to get through all of verse 13. And so be thankful we're not going to tackle all of it tonight. Um, but verse 13, there's a lot here. Look at verse 13. It says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not... And lie not against the truth, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy." And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I'd like to read out loud, all of us together, verse 13, just verse 13, and, uh, and then we'll pray and be seated. Look at verse 13 again. We'll read it out loud. Ready? Begin. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. I'd like to consider this thought from verse 13. Um, whose wisdom are you living by? I mean, who, who makes your decisions for you? What wisdom makes your decisions on a day-by-day -day basis? You know, we claim to be conservative, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists. And, and we kind of wear that like a badge sometimes. And that means that we live by God's Word. That's, that is how we operate uh, this, this Bible, this is our rule of faith and practice. This is, this is what we lean on. And it shows us how to do ministry. We're not letting the winds of culture decide how we uh, operate as a church. We're, it's, not, it's not dictating the winds of culture. Don't dictate our worship services. We are trying to follow God's word in as clear a way as we can. And God's wisdom, we believe God's wisdom is enough. We believe it's good enough. But James isn't just talking about ministry, he's also talking about our lives. And the person that operates by God's wisdom should give evidence in the way they live. And I, I think my, my apples might have disappeared. 
I was going to use them again tonight, but somebody, it's okay, he cleaned up the pulpit, that's fine. Um, but imagine I have apples, okay? If we say we live according to God's wisdom, then it should be evident in our lives. It should set us apart from the rest. There should be fruit. And, and we even talk about fruit in the later verses of this chapter. And, and so we ought to be concerned if the lives that we live aren't that different from others who don't operate according to God's wisdom. It's good for us to evaluate every once in a while how we compare, how our lives look compared to what others look like. It should make a difference that we operate by God's wisdom. And if there's not much of a difference, I think we can start making some conclusions. See, that's the idea that we're going to look at tonight is this. Let your life show whose wisdom you're living by. There will be fruit. There will be evidence. It will become evident in your life whose wisdom you're living by. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we need you and we love you and we pray that you bless the reading of your word. We cannot do this without you and I pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to start with an exercise today and don't worry, I'm not talking about exercise. I'm talking about an illustration here and it might get awkward but that's okay and I'm not necessarily looking for you to answer um, but I want it to feel awkward, okay? Who here is wise? I, I knew I'd have some, some kids answer, you know, raise their hands. So if, if you're wise, I mean, would you please stand up? Take my, take my nonverbal communication, okay, right here. Don't stand up, okay, really just for the exercise. Um, that's a little awkward, isn't it? See, now that few seconds of wrestling, so, okay, there's a few things going through your minds and whether or not to answer that feels a little awkward. For you, some of you, you're thinking, I think I'm fairly wise, but I'm not sure that I should stand up and proclaim that to everybody in this room because that might come across as proud. And, and so the fact that you wrestled with that is a revealer that you probably have some wisdom. Some of you in here are, are thinking, I'm not sure that I'm wise, um, so I'm definitely not standing up. And the fact that you didn't stand up might indicate that you have some wisdom, more than you might think. And there's some of you that's, that, that were thinking, I, I'm pretty sure I'm wise, but I don't want to be the first one that stands up. If somebody else stands up before me, then I'll stand up, because I don't want to be the first one. Again, that shows some wisdom. You know, so that awkward question, are you wise, and if you're wise, stand up, in many ways that's kind of how James begins this thought in verse 13. He's just come through uh, this idea through a section in which he talks about the test of our words and how our words reveal our Christian maturity. And then with the same line of thinking, he moves into this thought of wisdom. And he basically says, there are things in your life that reveal whether you're wise or not. And, and that's how James organizes his letter. He goes from one thought to the next and, and says, for instance, in, verse, in chapter 1, okay, um, are you mature? Let's review how you handle the trials of life and we'll let that tell us if you're mature or not. Are you mature? Let's, let's go ahead and examine how, you, uh, re, how well you resist the temptation to sin. That's going to tell us how mature you are or not. And then he moves on and he says, let's see how impartial you are 
to those that have less. That's going to tell us if you're mature or not. Let's see how you, if you're better at hearing only or doing. And that will tell us how mature you are. Okay, then let's test your works and let's see what they reveal about your maturity. Let's test your words and let's see what they reveal about your, your, your maturity, how your speech, what does your speech say about your level of maturity. And, and then and he goes on, that's kind of how he, he organizes this letter, this challenge to the readers. And then in verse 13, he uses the same line of thinking and reasoning. And he says, okay, who thinks that they're wise? Who among you is wise? And, and you know, he's talking to the readers. He's talking to those he just addressed. For instance, he says, okay, we have teachers. You know, as we talked about in verse 1, there are teachers among you. Those that want to be influencers, you claim to be wise. And, and there are others in your, in your congregation, you've been saved for a while. You, and, and you appear to be wise. There are those that, of you in church leadership. And you appear to be wise. There are those with influence and those teaching classes. I mean, think about it. We've got all of these categories right here in this room. Those that teach classes, those that greet at the doors, those that have been saved for a long time and have influence, those that are in the choir, those that are running junior church, those that are, are uh, deacons and those that are staff and the pastor. And, and you claim some level of wisdom, but let's make it another test. In other words, let's not just let you stand up. You know, he says, who among you is wise and endued with knowledge? Who is wise and endued with, and with knowledge among you? And I'll let you answer how you want. Do you think that you're wise and that, you, that you've been granted knowledge? And if you are, then, then I'll let you decide. Go ahead and stand up and tell us. Well, he asks the question, but in many ways, he doesn't give them an opportunity to answer. And that's where he's nicer than me, because I made you go through the awkward exercise of figuring out if you're going to answer that or not. James says, who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? And before he gives him a chance to answer, he says, I'm not really going to let you answer. I'm going to let you show it another way. I'm going to let you reveal it in a more objective way. Let's consider the evidence in your life. Because it's easy for people to stand and say, oh yeah, I'm wise. Um, but I'm not sure that's the most objective way to answer the question. See, this section applies not just to teachers and not just to influencers, but it applies to every believer sitting in this room right now. And it applies to every professing believer sitting in this room. This is a test that we all can take, and it's the test of wisdom. And James doesn't leave it up to us to answer. See, if I, if I give us all a test and I say, okay, who is wise among you? Then some of us, we might stand up because we really believe we have wisdom. And that's not entirely wrong. I mean, I look around the room and there's a lot of people in this room with wisdom. And I'm thankful for that. I'm not saying that nobody has wisdom. I'm just saying that us answering the question for ourselves may not be the best way to answer the question. Yeah, I do think it's possible to have an elevated view of ourselves. Do you? Yeah. Someone once said, um, it's hard to find a self-professing fool. It's hard to find somebody who would claim to be a fool. No one wants to believe they don't have wisdom. The human tendency is to have this elevated view and somewhat unrealistically high opinion of our wisdom, even though we probably wouldn't want to admit that. I mean, most of us would say... 
Um, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I don't consider myself all that wise. I don't I can't consider myself to have all the answers. And then we start debating a subject and it's, and, and the way that you deal with that subject makes me think, well, you really do think that you have a lot of wisdom. Have you ever get in a debate with somebody and you think you're right and they think they're right? That's pretty much how debates among human beings go. If it's my opinion, I think I'm right. And you think you're right. And even if you're proven wrong, you, we don't like to admit that we're not right. That's how it works. And in a culture that elevates individualism with this emphasis on, well, that's my truth. I get to decide what's right. I get to decide, decide what's true. It's going to get harder and harder to get an accurate evaluation of wisdom if we're asking individuals to answer for themselves. Because everybody, on some level, everybody thinks they're wise. And that's why James doesn't just ask the question and then say, well, as long as you think so. He doesn't say, who's a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Well, whatever your answer is, that's right. Let your truth be your truth. No, as long as, you know, he doesn't say that's good enough for me. No, he gives an objective standard. And in some ways, he asks the question, but doesn't let them answer. And before anybody answers, he says, let's, God, let's let God's word be the judge. Let's, get, let's take an objective look at wisdom. It's like giving a test. If I give a test to you and, and, uh, and I let you then, after you've taken the test, I say, and I've done this as a, a teacher. I used to teach classes there at Heartland and there were a couple times I let people grade their own papers. And I was like, that was a big mistake. Because when you grade your own paper, you give yourself room that you wouldn't give somebody else. And so, um, so, if I was to give you a test and say, okay, you can all grade your own, your own answers, grade your own test, you'd probably do your best to give yourself 100%. Now, though, if I, like I had in high school, if I was to give those tests to some teacher's aide that doesn't care about souls at all, and she has an answer key, and that's all she's doing. Or all, I'm sorry, it sounds very specific because it was. Um, this person, this individual, has an answer key, and they're grading your test based on an answer key on an objective standard where you don't get to decide what's right and wrong. Somebody else decides, and that objective standard tells you what you actually got or where you really are in your knowledge or what you really deserve as, an, as a grade. That's what James does. James gives them uh, an objective answer to the test. But before we get into that part, I want to consider first what wisdom is. Because I don't want us to misunderstand what he's talking about when he says, how are we going to know if you have wisdom or not? He says, who's a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And that phrase, let him show, is the key. It's the old English way of spelling show, but it means the same thing. Like show and tell, but it's S-H-E-W. It means to reveal or to prove. And James is saying, you say you're wise. Don't just say you're wise, prove it. Let's, let's look at your life. Show by your life, reveal it. And then he gives some very simple ways to show that we have wisdom. And, and we're going to look at that through verse thir in verse 13. But first I want to answer this question, what is wisdom? See, it may be difficult to show that we have wisdom if we don't know what it is. 
And so wisdom, uh, if, if you, if, is, it was of great value in, in, to the Hebrews. It was of great value um, even in the ancient worlds. When, when these words were being written, wisdom was, was, an, was one of the ultimate things to have. I mean, you think about Solomon in Proverbs chapter 4. He says, wisdom is the principal thing. That means the chief thing, the first thing, the beginning thing. He says, Solomon said, therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting... Get understanding. So according to Solomon, the Hebrew, you know, he would reflect the Hebrew mindset. And the Hebrews thought that wisdom was the principal thing. Therefore, go after wisdom like it's the most important thing. Uh, if you read ancient philosophers, um, I was reading um, some quotes from ancient philosophy about wisdom and Cicero about 900 years after Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Uh, Cicero, the Roman philosopher, said wisdom is the best gift of the gods. He said that it's the mother of all good things. So you've got Solomon, the Hebrew mindset. You've got Cicero, the Roman uh, mindset. They both agreed that wisdom should be our most diligent pursuit. They had that in common, but they differed in what it looked like. You see, the ancient philosophers like Cicero and others, they pursued intellectual knowledge. They wanted to know facts. They wanted to think about things that were deep. But Solomon and the Hebrews understood that true wisdom is not simply intellectual. True wisdom is behavioral. See, to, the Sol to Solomon and the Jews, the biggest fools were not those who had never been educated. Uh, and we may say that somebody that hasn't had a certain level of education, we, what, what, you, what word would we maybe use for them? They would be ignorant, okay? And I, and I, and I mean that in, in the best way possible. I, I'm not saying that somebody who hasn't been educated um, you know, doesn't have the ability to learn or they're just dumber than everybody else. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they would be ignorant in that they, they haven't been exposed to education. And there may be some, even in this room, that, that you didn't finish an education. I'm not downing that tonight. Because in reality, um, what, I, what I would do on the flip side is point out that I would much rather be somebody that doesn't have a, a solid education... But like the Hebrews would say, but I have learned truth from God's word and I've applied it to my life. I would much rather, if we're talking about two different categories, I would much rather be over here. That I don't have PhDs and I don't have a bunch of degrees after my name and I don't have all the education in the world. But I was raised in church and I was given truth and I watched it modeled from my parents and I am operating based on truth and applying it to my life every day. And, and I'll tell you, young people, and I, I like to talk to our young people, they need to hear some of these things. Listen, uh, you could go to a public university and you could get the highest degree possible, um, but most of you have been raised by parents that know and model God's word. And I'm telling you, uh, what a shame if you go to South Dakota State University or some other university and get a master's degree and, and a PhD and you've got all these degrees after your name, uh, but when you graduate high school, you take all the truth that your parents gave you and all the ways that they told you how to apply it to your life and you throw that out, your, out the window to go live a life to pursue a secular education. Shame on you. I'd much rather have not a degree, have no college degree at all, and yet know God's truth and apply it to my life than somebody who's grown up in it and wastes it 
by pursuing something that doesn't matter nearly as much. And we've got these two philosophies at work. You've got guys like Cicero and Socrates and Plato and those guys. But then you've got Solomon. And over here, they're saying intellect, intellect, intellectual wisdom. Be smart, be smart. And Solomon over here is saying, no, what you need is you need to take God's truth and you need to apply it to your life every day. That's wisdom. I mean, think about Solomon in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3 there in Gibeon. Um, God came to him and said, basically said, well, ask what I shall give thee. And what did Solomon say? What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. And by wisdom, he wasn't saying, Father, I really want to be on Jeopardy. And I really want to win a million dollars. So give me a bunch of trivial facts. Because, you know, I always lose in trivial pursuit. I want, to, I want nerd knowledge, God. I want to know the answer to the most obscure. Some of you are like that. You have the answer to the most obscure, obscure questions, and that's great. But, you know, what happens when, when you get a flat tire? Okay, never, never mind. I'm not going to ask that. No, I mean, those are the kinds of things. Uh, I mean, Jeopardy's great. But that's not what Solomon's looking for. Solomon, I mean, just, I'm just going to read what he said. Solomon wasn't interested in facts. He wasn't interested in a degree. He wanted to know how to apply truth to life. And think about what he said. I'll read it. I am but a little child, God. I know not how to go out or come in, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen. It's a great people that cannot be numbered for, nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant, he says, an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And to Solomon, wisdom was knowing how to apply truth to life. He wasn't interested in random facts. He wasn't interested in man's wisdom. He was interested in God's wisdom. And if you think about his life, his life perfectly illustrates the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. Because he started out strong, remember? He started out strong and God gave him wisdom. And these, I mean, when the two ladies came and they had one baby and he had to decide whose was who. And, and I mean, the wisdom that Solomon had was unbelievable. It was renowned. I mean, people came from far and wide. The Queen of Sheba, other places, they came just to see, just to see him. He started out real strong with God's wisdom. But somewhere along the way, he started marrying wives and concubines that didn't follow God. Right. And the Bible says that they turned his heart. They turned his heart from God's wisdom and they turned his heart to man's wisdom. And at the end of his life, toward the end of his life, then you know that he says when it comes to God, man's wisdom... Boy, it's nothing like God's wisdom. Uh, if you want to compare the two mentalities that Solomon had, read the book of Proverbs and then go read the book of Ecclesiastes. Because the book of Proverbs is a book of God's wisdom for his son. And the book of Ecclesiastes is him saying, and I thought that I had, I, 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 if I pursued this, that I could have everything I ever wanted. But I'm telling you, man's wisdom is only vanity. Man's wisdom won't satisfy. It's all empty, empty, empty. And you've got one man in one man's life who shows here's the wisdom of God in Proverbs and here's the wisdom of man in Ecclesiastes and one is far superior. That's the wisdom of God. 
In, in Solomon's mind, it became very clear. We're, and we're, we'll talk more about it. I don't want to get into that too much tonight because this, we're going to get through part of this tonight. But, but uh, for now, I'd just like to define wisdom as, as applying God's truth to everyday life. It's not about what you know. So I know I've known a lot of young people. I've, I've been a youth pastor and seen a lot, I mean hundreds of young people come through a good church where they learn a lot about God's word. And I'm thankful they learn about God's word. I'm thankful that you've got Bible facts. But as soon as they turn 18 and they're faced with temptation and mom and dad aren't around, they have no idea how to stand. And it's, it's a disaster because they had Bible knowledge. You, you've got head knowledge. Most of you have got a lot of Bible knowledge in your head. But do you have wisdom? The ability to take what you know about God, the ability to take what you've learned in church and apply it to everyday life. That is a skill that many of us have, have failed at. Too many times. Because we thought we knew it up here, but when it came down to it, we didn't have wisdom to apply God's truth to everyday life. So that's wisdom. Okay, well, who can have wisdom? Before we get into how to show wisdom, who can have it? Well, James starts verse 13 by using two words. He uses these words, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you. So he uses wise and he uses the word knowledge. Wise means careful application of knowledge to one's personal life. The way that I'm saying it again is it applying God's truth to everyday life. That's wisdom. And there are other definitions and you may come up with a different one than that. But according to what my understanding of that word is, that was the best way for me to describe it tonight. It may change next week. But tonight it's applying God's truth to everyday life. The other word here, endued with knowledge, endued simply means you've been granted knowledge. Endued with knowledge means that you've been granted knowledge. And the word knowledge is the only time that it's found in the whole Bible, this one word, is it means specialist. A specialist. So we understand what a specialist is in medical terms. I mean, if you have a problem with your heart, you go to see what? Who? A cardiologist, right? If you've got, um, if you have cancer, you might go see what? Oncologist. I mean, we so we have these degrees of of specialty and the, these fields of specialty, and it's not always medical. I mean, we have some in our church, but it, you may have a specialty in mechanics, and you may have a specialty in elect, as an electrician or a carpenter or brother Phil as a roofer. These are still specialists. They've spent a long time honing their craft in their area of expertise, and. And, and I was going to say it, I typed it out, and then I realized how it sounds. I typed it out, it, it says, we have a lot of special people at Eastside. <laughs> we do, amen. And don't be offended by that, because some of us aren't special at all. We don't have any special areas of expertise. We've got a lot of people that specialize in things. I mean, if you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, and he talks about 10,000 hours being the magic rule of greatness. Maybe you've heard of that before. And the idea that Malcolm Gladwell talked about is if you really want to be great at something, if you really want to excel at something, it's going to take 10,000 hours to do it. 10,000 hours of practice. 
Uh, does that encourage you taking a, a music lesson right now? If you're learning the violin or piano, 10,000 hours and you can be great, okay? Sounds like a lot to me. And you know, the, the thing is that even if you do all 10,000 hours of greatness, I mean of practice, it doesn't mean you're going to be great. It just means, though, that your mindset is that I want to be so, I want to be good at this. I want to perform in a way that's excellent in this area. And I'm willing to put 10,000 hours in if that's what it takes. You may not get to greatness, but I would imagine that most people that spend 10,000 hours on something get pretty good at it. Uh, what, what in your life do you need to become a specialist in? That's not even in the notes, um, but, but you've got something you're interested in and you're working at, especially our young people. You've got lots of time. I mean, start working at something and do something. By the way, become a specialist in an area that would profit or benefit your local church someday. I mean, think about ways that you can help a church. And I'm telling you, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he'll add all those things to you. He'll bless you if you have that mindset. Uh, but it doesn't just have to be young people. I mean, we, we can do that too. We've got more time than we think if we, if we really have a desire to excel at something. And, and so what James says is, is this. He's saying it's possible to be a wisdom specialist. It's possible for us, it's possible for anybody to be a specialist in God's wisdom. Now, he doesn't say it happens like this, it's overnight. No, he says it's a process. It's Christian maturity, we know Christian maturity is not a light switch. It's a process. And it sounds daunting, but what I appreciate, I want you to, to pay attention here, what I appreciate about it is it becomes very clear that anyone with a heart to seek wisdom can find it. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It will take some sacrifice. It will take you thinking, and it will take memorizing and meditating, but it is possible for any of us. Remember what James said in chapter 1? If who of you lack wisdom, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. See, we're good at pursuing what is important to us. And you can become good at anything these days. I mean, you can YouTube um, in just about anything and, and you can take online classes and you can and it's put knowledge at our fingertips and we pursue those things. But listen, the Bible says that wisdom is principle. There should be nothing that we pursue more diligently than God's wisdom. He says it's greater than silver and gold. And if you want wisdom, you can have it, but it's going to take resolve. But I just want to point this out tonight. One thing that should encourage all of us is that you don't have to have a certain IQ in order to have God's wisdom. What did Solomon do to gain God's wisdom? He asked for it. You know, the key to God's wisdom is to desire it more than anything else. You don't have to have been raised in a Christian home. You don't have to have a certain degree. You simply have to seek and desire wisdom. And it happened for Solomon. And the fact that James is asking now, who among you is wise, it further proves the point that it could be anybody. Listen, wisdom is free, but it will cost you an effort, and it will cost you in diligence, and, and it requires a heart that really wants it to seek it. But here's another truth about wisdom. No, I mean, anybody can have it, but here's another truth. You realize that whatever righteous thing you desire spiritually, 
You can have it if you seek it diligently enough. And you say, well, now you sound like Joel Osteen. And you're just up here saying, you can have anything you want. No, I didn't say that. I said, if you, anything spiritually, righteous, that you desire spiritually, you can have it if you want it bad enough. See, here's the thing. Here's what I mean by that. Hear me out. If wisdom is available to anybody who diligently seeks it, that means that the results of wisdom are available to anybody that seeks it. And you know what that means? You can have as close a walk with God as you want. It's available. And you can grow spiritually as much as you ever wanted to. It's available. And you can do God's will. And listen, you may be a young Christian or just starting out. You can do God's will as, as confidently as I can. It's available. And you can be a great husband. You may not have had a good example growing up, but you can be a great husband, man. You can be a great father. Ladies, you can be a great mom. You can be a great wife if you desire it. Because if wisdom is available to anybody, then anything we desire, spiritually speaking, that is a righteous desire, anything we desire, we can have if we seek it diligently enough. Teenagers, you can obey your parents. Children... You can know God at an early age. I look at our young people and our children in here, especially those under 12, 11, and, and down, and, and you say, well, I don't really have much to offer the kingdom of God. No, I'm telling you, you can know God. If you will diligently, as a young person, seek God. Every day, read your Bible. I'm telling you, can you imagine if the young people, uh, all the young people in the youth down, if all of our young people and all of our children said, I want my life's pursuit to be the knowledge of God. I want my life's pursuit to be God's wisdom. I want that to be that which I seek most diligently. That is my principal goal in life. Can you imagine what Eastside Baptist Church would look like in 15 years? I mean, this place... I mean, it's a, it would be amazing. And we say, oh, I'd love to see that. Well, there's no reason that the adults in this room can't make the same decision tonight. And make God's wisdom our principal thing. How do we expect our children to pursue after God's wisdom with that kind of passion if they haven't seen it lived out with those that are raising them? If wisdom's available to anybody who seeks it, then maturity is available to anybody who seeks it. And here's how you make this connection tonight. People with God's wisdom are going to live changed lives. People with God's wisdom will live changed lives. Meaning, if you seek God's wisdom, it's going to change your life. It's going to make you a good husband. It's going to make you a good father. It's going to make you a better soul winner. It's going to make you a better teacher. It's going to make you a better Christian. It's going to make you a better friend. It'll make you all of the things that you and I ever desired. And listen, I'm not talking about wealth and gold and silver and cars and airplanes. You know, don't, don't, don't take it out of context. I'm talking about righteous things that we desired spiritually. We think that only a preacher's kid can get that. And only somebody raised in a church, in a Christian home can have that and only somebody with a certain disposition and only somebody with certain leadership no it's available to everybody if we would just seek wisdom as the principal thing you can be everything you dream about in God you can be it and, I'm, and it's not name it and claim it I'm just telling you what God's word says if we seek wisdom he'll change our lives he'll make us different 
Wisdom affects our behavior. It'll change you. And, it, and it, I, I read that in James and I read it out of Psalms and, and I start to scratch my head. I'm wondering, man, I wonder, I wonder if they were inspired by the same Holy Spirit. Because that sounds pretty similar. You know, wisdom is more than head knowledge. It'll change your life. So wisdom is applying God's truth to everyday life. And wisdom can be acquired by anybody. But here's how you show it. And we're not going to get through all of this tonight um, because there's a lot more that I want to get into. But he says, okay, it's, it, it's available to anybody and it can be acquired by anybody. He says, but here's how you show it. He says, let him show. Here's how you show wisdom. Let him show first by, out of a good conversation. You say, well, I'm a pretty good conversation. I know how to talk to anybody. It's not what I'm talking about. You know, in fact, sometimes people that talk the most Maybe they're not very wise, according to Solomon. No, the word conversation means behavior. It means your lifestyle. And I want you to catch the thought flow as we get down to the end of it. We'll get into more details next time. But the conversation means you're, the way you live. The way that you behave. And, and the word good means, beha- means beautiful. It means excellent. And the idea of this phrase, let him show out of a good conversation, is when it's applied to people and wisdom, it means that, it's a, it, that they have a beauty by reason of purity of heart and life. See, here's the principle to take away here is that your life as a whole ought to be lived in such a way that even unbelievers take note of how excellent it is. Your life as a whole ought to be lived in such a way that even unbelievers take note of its excellence. Because whether or not we believe it, people watch us all the time. And your co-workers, they probably know where you go to church and they're watching how you react to bad news. And your neighbors, they probably know that you go to church. Our neighbors do. I mean, we had neighbors in Oklahoma and they said, you guys are never home, especially on Sunday. And I was like, what are you, casing our house? I mean... No, we're always home. No, I mean, they, they, they knew we were not, not home, especially on Sundays. Your coworkers, your neighbors, uh, and your children, parents, your children are watching you. I mean, how beautiful of a life are you living in front of those watching you? The new Christians in our church, and I think about we've got new ones here and even tonight, and they're watching us. And I wonder if they're watching and emulating and patterning their lives after the lives that they're seeing us live. And I wonder how beautiful it is. You see, here's where we make a mistake. We take a verse like, well, God looks on the outside, uh, on the inside, man looks on the heart. No, man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. I'll get it right. And we think, well, you know, that verse means I don't have to please other people. And, and I know that's true, that that's not our motivation to please other people. But what do you then do, do with a verse like James 3.13 or Matthew 5.16 that says, Let your life so, sh- light, so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, I think that we have swung the pendulum a little too far the other way and we assume that since we aren't motivated by what people think that we don't have to consider what people think. But read the New Testament again. See, there's a difference between being driven by people's opinions and being driven by God's opinion while considering the fact that people are watching us. 
See, the result of godly wisdom is that you will live in such a way that you please God, but you have a good testimony with other people too. See, to live a beautiful life means that people notice your choices. So how does your lifestyle compare to those without Christ? See, there should be something so different and so compelling about the life that you're living that people around you can't help but be compelled, that they can't help but notice it. You know, we should be concerned if we could take a random stranger and drop them into our lives and the only difference is a couple of hours a week at church. Uh, did Did you hear that? We should be concerned if you could take a random stranger and drop them into the middle of our lives and the only difference is a couple of hours a week at church. You know, when I was a, a, a teenager, my, my dad and I a few times, I don't even know how we found it, but we, we, there was a show on TV called Quantum Leap that we watched a couple times. And by, by the way, back then, our, our life, daily life schedule, I mean, it was not determined by what was on TV. That's a good habit to be in, by the way. But we watched it a couple of times and we thought it was really fascinating because there's a guy in a time loop and, and he can't get back to where he needs to go. He, he goes back and he goes forward in different periods of time and he ends up um, dropped into the life of somebody that he doesn't know, a random stranger. And, and if I remember right, I haven't seen it in a long time, but in that hour he has to solve some major life problem this person is dealing with. Which, I mean, that's, I mean, it only takes an hour, by the way, to fix our biggest life's problems. So, or 30 minutes if it's a 30-minute show. So, you know. But they would drop him in to this random person's life, and, and he looked like himself, but when he would look in a mirror, he looked like the person. It was weird. You know, if we had something like Quantum Leap, though, that concept in your life, and somebody... Some random person was just dropped into your life. There ought to be concern if that lost person could be dropped into our lives and and what we watch doesn't change. Or what we wear. Or the words that we say. Or the jokes that we tell or laugh at. And I'm not sure that's a compelling life. According to what James is talking about. He says, good conversation. There's something beautiful about your life. And when it comes to your life, the people around you may not agree with your positions. But there should be something different enough that it compels them, that they notice. And I think what we have is too many of God's people trying to live incognito lives. Meaning that, that we're trying to live as, as closely to everybody else as we can so that we minimize the difference. But listen, if, if God is working and God's wisdom is leading you, you won't be able to hide the differences. Good conversation means a beautiful life. And you don't get that label if there's no difference between the quality of life that you're living compared to some random stranger that doesn't know God. 
And we're going to look more closely at the specifics next time but because the way we show our wisdom in a beautiful life according to the rest of these verses is by specific good works and a good spirit. And, and those two categories kind of make up what we're going to look at the next time. Those two categories, uh, uh, your good works and your good spirit, those are two are the pillars on which a beautiful life is built. But we're not going to get to that, till um, all of that this week. But I would just want to ask you, again, who among us, who among us has wisdom? I mean, if you have wisdom, you know, go ahead and, and stand up if you have wisdom. No, James didn't give time to answer. Instead, he starts talking about the way we're living. He says, you can answer, yeah, I've got wisdom all you want. What does your life say? Let the way that you apply God's truth to your everyday life answer that for you. And if you're not doing well at that, your answer may be different than you thought. See, who among you is a wisdom specialist? How often do you consult God's word to help you make your decisions and apply and provide direction? Could a lost person make the same decisions that you're making on a daily basis? If you have wisdom and knowledge, it's going to be evident in a beautiful life. And so I'm asking you tonight, I mean, how beautiful is the life that you're living? How compelling is the life that you're living because that's the exception, not the rule. Most people aren't living in such a way that there's good, it's a good behavior, good conversation. So could your life be lived by a random stranger? And I don't just mean a few hours a week at church. I mean, let's, I mean down to the details, I mean how often you open your Bible. I mean how often you're on your knees and seeking God in prayer. I mean, could a random stranger, uh, you know, uh, if, if you're making your budget and a random stranger is making their budget, what are the differences? There should be some differences, by the way. H how you spend your evenings and how you raise your children. Dad's your spirit while, while you're disciplining your children. Uh, mom's uh, the spirit about how, w with which you talk about your husband. How you treat your spouse and how you speak and the words that you say and, and how diligently you spend, and this is a big one, how diligently you spend your eight hours at work. Because I don't, I don't know about you, there should be a major difference between God's people and how diligent they are about their time at work and somebody who is a random person that doesn't really have God's uh, wisdom to guide them. I'm not saying that lost people can't spend a good eight hours, but by rule, God's people ought to be working harder. I mean, let, let's think about these specifics. And, you know, our lives, listen, our lives will be beautiful if we let God's wisdom determine how we live them. If not, though, anybody could live the way that you're living. And that's not very compelling. I just want you to imagine that tonight. A random stranger got dropped into your life. How much would it change their life? How different would it look from the way they usually live? How much would it change your life? And we ought to be mindful of the fact that if, if most of our life is lived by man's wisdom. And most of our week is just lived by instinct. 
And we're not consulting God's wisdom. And we're not opening God's word when we have even just a minor decision, we ought to seek God's word. We're not really thinking about that when we have decisions to make. We're not really thinking about what the Bible says when we're reacting to our spouse. We're not really thinking about what the Bible says when we're, when we're reacting in anger to our children when they've disobeyed or we're disciplining them. We, it'd be good for us tonight to evaluate. If, if someone was to just look at our life, take away the face and just see how we live. I mean, how different would it be from the next door neighbor who doesn't own a Bible and, and has never in their life thought about God's wisdom? Because I think we might be surprised at how sometimes how similar the two can be. And tonight, let's do an evaluation of that phrase, let him show out of a good conversation. Let's reveal, we say we have wisdom. But the first thing that James says we ought to do is let's prove it with a beautiful life. And by beautiful, I mean a life that points people to Jesus. A life obviously driven by wisdom that comes from a different place than the earth. And let's say, you know, I want a beautiful life. If you want a beautiful life that compels people and draws them to your Savior then you've got to stop living according to the world's wisdom and open the Bible and get on your knees and start seeking God's wisdom because the only way that you will live a life different than everybody else around you is if you live it with God's wisdom. I'm telling you, God's wisdom will change your life. And maybe you've been in the cycle of man's wisdom. I'm telling you, that's a bad place to be. And it doesn't take long to realize, and this is a dead end, you want to know the end of man's wisdom, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's depressing. Then go over to the book of Proverbs and say, okay, now this is what happens with God's wisdom. Then read the book of Proverbs and tell me which one gives you more hope. Because man's wisdom is vanity. It ends in, in emptiness. But God's wisdom will give you hope. Because it rises above the life that you'd live by default. It says, no, if you live according to God's wisdom, here's a way to live a beautiful life. If you want to live a beautiful life, it's time to recommit ourselves to God's wisdom. Let's stand together. Appreciate your attention tonight. And I don't want you just to listen to the idea and think, okay, well, that's a nice idea. I want to live a beautiful life. I want you to think about the applications in your life. I mean, the specific ways in your life that you know you are not living according to God's wisdom? What, what things in your life aren't going well and you know it's because you're not living according to God's wisdom? You're in a cycle of man's wisdom and it's kind of out of control. Think about the applications in your life and apply them to the things that, that are in your life that, that aren't going very well. And you'll probably find that the answer to fixing the problems that are out of control is to stop living according to your wisdom and start seeking God's again. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I want to live a beautiful life. I don't want to get down to the end of it and God say, well, you know, you lived, but it wasn't all that compelling. I don't know about you, but I want him to say, well done. What a beautiful life. 
And if we can do that in such a way um, that it draws people around us, I'm telling you, it'll make a difference. And it'll help us to be the salt and light we're supposed to be. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.